We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the dust has settled, right? We've got a great degree of roster turnover. And whenever the team changes this much, the first place that my mind goes to, and I think all fans go to, is like, what are we? What is this new team? What are we capable of? How are we different than last year? And some off-seasons, it's... You add a couple of pieces, you make a couple of different changes, and you, but you still kind of know what the team is going to be. This offseason, there's been such a severe roster overturn that, again, it's all these new factors coming into play. And so in the last few weeks of thinking, what is this team going to be? My biggest anxiety is probably, do we have enough defense? Now, this has been a staple of the last couple of years, especially since Frank Vogel came and, and Anthony Davis especially came over where we are the best defense in the league. That's something that the Lakers, when the Lakers talk about Lakers basketball, that's usually what they're referring to. So the dial has been turned, Darius, very severely toward defense over the last couple of years. We've added ball handling, we've added shooting, but I think that we've probably taken a step back on the defensive end in terms of what the roster is capable of. Do you agree with that evaluation? And to what degree? We're not going to answer that today, but we're just going to kind of explore the Lakers' defense and the, our first impressions of it, and will they be able to play enough of it to win a title? So, yes, I definitely agree that the team has skewed way more. It's not even just a little bit. It's way more towards offense. Every player that left and every new player, except for Dwight Howard, they're all worse at defense. Maybe Ariza. And if you're looking at Trevor Ariza as like your defensive difference maker, like you're probably worse I think Bazemore adds some defensive value. No, yeah, but actually, I think has I'm some. Talking, we'll get into well, him I'm talking later, about but, the players who yeah, left. But all in all, yeah, they yeah. lost K- right. And so when you're talking about oh, the players sure. that were here, and now those players are gone, and these new players are here, they're all worse at defense. I, there's no framing that differently, right? We can spin sure. it and say, sure. well, on their own, they're okay defensive players, or they can be good defensive players. 
You're saying as a collective versus individuals. As a collective, the guys who left were better defensively than the guys who yeah, came in. And I, I think I that's mean, pretty it's, clear. It's obvious. Alex Caruso was an all NBA level defensive player. He didn't make the team, but if he would have been a starting player and played 25 or 30 minutes a night, and if he does that consistently over the next two or three years, he'll probably start to get that recognition as one of the best defensive guards in the league. KCP is a good defensive guard. Even Kyle Kuzma made real strides defensively, and he had really good size, especially in transitioning from what he was early in his career as like a stretch power forward to more of a wing defender. His size helped him there. And so I would say Dwight Howard is a plus defensive player. I would say that he's a better defensive player than, than Andre Drummond. They're different. Right. But I, but in in the aggregate, I would say that mm-hmm. he's that that he's better. Everyone else is probably a bit worse. And in some cases, if they're going to play real rotation minutes, they have to be accounted for as being like, oh, how can we hide you in certain ways? That doesn't mean the Lakers are going to be a bad defensive right. team. I don't necessarily think they're going to be a bad defensive team. Mike, am I too far in that direction? Am I being too harsh? I just feel like they did a trade-off this offseason, and they said, we need more offense. And it just so happened that on the free agent market, offensive guys were the guys that were available, and it wasn't a bunch of defensive stopper types. And the Lakers just said, hey, you're talented, you're talented. But they're talented on offense rather than on defense. I do have real concerns uh, about the defense, but I would separate and say the perimeter defense as opposed to the interior defense. Whereas the interior defense, and this is not just AD, but LeBron kind of counts in both ways to an extent. But I'd say that the way that I'm thinking about LeBron in this context is more like the front line, you know, defense next to AD. And then, of course, Dwight. And even depending on how Marcus All comes back, like he he has some strengths um, and he has some weaknesses as an interior defender, but he's not a minus um, you know, to me. And, and if he is in a certain lineup, then you play Dwight or you play AD at the five. So. The interior in protecting the rim, which can, which has always been Frank Vogel's main focus for a defensive team when he was in Indiana. Um, Orlando was a little different with the personnel there and how young they were. But so that part of it, I do think that he'll have some scheme that that kind of, you know, doesn't have the Lakers as a overall problem on defense. But the perimeter stuff is just a lot different. Where you had guys that were both quick and fast and strong. The last couple of years, whether it's Danny Green and then to KCP to Caruso, um, even Schroeder, Avery Bradley to an extent, like, like in your face, tough, uh, I'm going to guard you the whole court, guys. And there is a shift now. And how much does that affect the overall game? That's what. So I'm super curious to see it. But I do like we knew that other version worked. We knew that other version of LeBron AD with the defensive guys right. leaning towards defense who can make enough threes that worked. Can this work? And the, this, I think that's the part where there's some trepidation because you you haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen them have – like they didn't really have an all-offense unit, Pete, that they would throw out around LeBron AD. So right. that nope. – and, nope. and not, again, it's not that you can't have – we can piece together – you mentioned none who I, we, can, we can discuss. I mean his defensive numbers haven't been great. But uh, there are – like Trevor Ariza, what we think of him versus what he's been able to do the last couple of years – is different. So I don't know if there's that guy that you can have out there on the perimeter. And the question is, can you just have those guys pressing, take away the three point line? And then here's the help. And it's a lot of help. It's LeBron, it's AD, it's Dwight, it's, it's whatever. 
that's um that's what I'm curious about. And I would love to kind of get Frank Vogel's full take on, which, you know, he's always careful about not giving his full take and he'll keep it close to the vest. But that's where I'm curious, Pete, um, as to how do you cover up for this shift in style de- defensively while then clearly getting more of an offensive benefit? I think THT is really important on the defensive end this year, right? Um, he's got skills as a point of attack guy, right? Somebody who can press up on the ball handler, use his length to be disruptive. Nunn is a guy where we're going to talk about him in the next pod, uh, but he has some abilities. That's the thing. When we get to this point of the roster building, the vet minimum through MLE guys, there's always going to be a trade-off where Alex Crusoe, KCP, Kyle Kuzma are providing a certain level of defense that these guys are not. But these guys are also provi- providing a level of ball handling and shooting and offensive firepower that was problematic throughout the last season, even points of the last couple of seasons. Darius, where I'm coming from is like, I'm used to a certain style of play the last couple of seasons. I know what it, it is like for a defense first team that can press up on you, that can rotate, that can switch everything, that can be very big, that can... It has a great deal of defensive versatility. We had some weaknesses, right? We didn't have a ton of size on the wing, and that would uh, come back to bite us in certain circumstances. But by and large, I know what this type of team is capable of. But I think uh, we have certain players on the roster, like a THT, that are capable of stepping into a, a, a greater role. I'm curious your thoughts. When when we did, uh, I had my first day going into the facility, right? I've only had one day going into the facility as a Lakers employee, and it was to be a cameraman of all things, right? For when they did the media availabilities. And THT was the last guy that came in. And they asked him, you know, what is the, when you are working on your game over the course of this offseason, what are you working on? And the first place my mind goes to is his jump shot, right? That's something that is very obvious in his game. He's got he's missing one or two kind of connector pieces that can make the dominant elements of his game, his ability to drive to the rim specifically, that can really be a counter to that. But the first thing that he said was, I need to get better on defense. And he talked about working in the film room, right? And looking at tape and seeing how he can improve off of the ball. To what degree do you value THT defensively going forward? Because that is a big leap to make from your age 20 season to your age 21 season. Is this a role that you feel like he can fill? He's so young. Yeah, man. Yeah. There are ways that you can improve defensively. And there are ways that I wonder if you ever will improve defensively. Some guys are just aware defensively. I hate to keep coming back to Alex Caruso, but Caruso was just one of those guys where it's just like, no, we have to talk about it, AC, in this respect specifically. You know how many guards there are between us and an NBA title? Look, this is a tangent, but it's one of the reasons why Dennis Schroeder lasted on the market for so long. It's because there's a lot of guards out there. A lot. All teams have a lot of guards. And the idea of mowing through all of these teams that have guards, there's no rest. Just think of the Lakers' run to to the championship in 2019-20. It was like, oh, Dame and Murray and just all of these guys, right? And then now it's a bigger wing-type guard where it's like Jimmy Butler. Is like, oh, my goodness. Like, How many of these guys are you going to have to guard, right? And it's all of them. That said, some guys are just in, – in getting back to THT – the reason why I brought up Caruso is because he has like great defensive instincts 
Like he is just a guy who is consistently aware. He's aware of positioning. He is aware of where the ball is. He's aware of where his man is. He has great instincts on when to gamble and when to stay home. And it all comes together with his physical tools to be someone who can impact the game defensively. Teach, he has a bunch of physical tools. What he has not shown is that level of awareness of where to be, how to gamble, taking steps with purpose rather than taking false steps. Like I called THT a drifter last season because he tends to drift defensively and and sort of slide into disadvantageous positions. And then he's relying on his physical tools to make up space. And it's difficult when you've taken a false step here to say nothing of two or three false steps. Sure. And so I'm encouraged by his physical tools. I think that on ball, he can be a much better player than he has been. And I think that he's been fine off ball or on ball. Off ball is where I feel like, well, this is where the work needs to be put put in. And there's a level of attentiveness that he needs to show. And that means like mental, mentally, because if you don't have those instincts, you need to lock in on that side. And so mm-hmm. film will help. Recognition will help. But it's a matter of how in the moment am I playing? Because that's what he needs a little bit more of. Mike, what do you see THT's defensive role as going forward? I'm just trying to be careful not to put too many expectations on THT as being the guy that's going to be a main difference maker on either end of the floor, but especially on the defensive end next year. I I get Mm -hmm. the idea of it. I get the kind of looking forward in his career. But remember, guys, THT has not even turned 21. Okay. And I don't know if there are many players that you can count on to be the the type of difference maker defensively at that stage, early stage of their career, especially when for THT, it's been his offense that I think made the big difference when he was at Simeon, for example, in high school. And as he got through Iowa State and even as you watched him in the G League, so I'm like, he's got the tools. He's got the body, I think, to evolve defensively. He's got the right type of people around him. But I'm just having a hard time thinking that he's going to be the big difference maker on that end of the floor next year. And that's to my earlier point. That's why I'm thinking in my head, how is Frank Vogel going to concoct the type of scheme and figure out which guys in the perimeter are not going to be as on the ball aggressive and just impactful, but how can they, how can they take advantage of the fact that the Lakers still do still do have maybe the best defensive front line in the NBA and I just, yeah, so maybe maybe Pete, that's me just being cautious about THT, but I, I don't know if I see him being the, that type of a difference maker this soon and this early. I, I think that's a totally reasonable perspective. I, the reason I bring him up is that he's one of the players who's physically capable of it, right? You bring in Malik Monk, you bring in Wayne, Ell- Wayne Ellington – they are here to score and they add a great deal of value on the offensive end, especially when we've got these three stars that can create shots, right? They're going to add value. Physically, for sure. What I'm thinking about more is mentally. And that's where right. getting, and this is where Russell Westbrook even comes into play, guys, in this discussion yes. where yes. Russ is physically very capable. Yes. Russ is huge. Russ is strong. Russ is powerful. But how much because of what he's had to do in his career from kind of a carrying an offense, right? Carrying the team energy, like going downhill, all of that. How much can you get him in addition, whether it's THG or somebody else to really like lock in defensively from a mental standpoint? 
So this is the common thread, Mike. That's what when Darius brought up earlier about THT's off ball and just a certain awareness of I know where I am on the court. And that's something that as you get older as a player, that's one of the things that improves the most. And one of the reasons why veterans win. And that's to your point, Mike, right? He hasn't turned 21 yet. And we're expecting him to fill in this this gap in the roster, right? Where all of this defense perimeter defense walked out the door, but we've got this kid that's strong and moves his feet well and has a great wingspan. I think he's got a great deal of ability on the ball. And that's a, he's a similar defender to Russell Westbrook in that respect, in terms of his, he's a power guard who's stocky, who can switch on to bigger players and not be as out muscled by them as a smaller guard, but he's also prone to taking that false step off of the ball that Darius was talking about or on a closeout, you know, Oh, I'm supposed to go to the wing, not to the corner. That's probably the biggest area of this roster from watching tape that I'm concerned about is our closeouts and both our willingness to do it and our capability. I realize I'm coming across as, as probably a little on the pessimistic side here, but I'm not. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and present more of an optimist's point of view on why I think that we will be capable of playing good enough defense to where our offense can carry the day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so this is my case for you guys. I think Anthony Davis is still the best defensive player in the world. And LeBron is a very good defender throughout the year who in the last five minutes of a close game that has stakes is capable of being a great defender even still. Those two give you a certain defensive floor, right? We cannot be worse than a certain level of defense provided that everybody is engaged. I think none has some uh, ability as a chaser, but I think by and large, our roster is really constructed to have switching lineups versus non-switching lineups. 
the more I've been thinking over the last few days, the more I think that AD starting at the five is a real possibility. That's a whole nother uh, conversation and branch. But those 80 at the five lineups, I think when you have a power guard like a Westbrook or a THT, guys who are capable, big and strong, like you said, Mike, those are exactly the kind of guys that can hold their ground for a little bit longer on a switch against a Jokic or an Aiton. They're not going to win those battles, but it's the difference between losing that battle in half a second versus losing it in a second, which, as you guys know, is all the difference in the world on the defensive end in the NBA just for the cavalry to arrive, your help guys, right? And so I think that we're very much constructed to be a switching and aggressive defense. That's the other thing about our defensive talent. Westbrook in particular from watching his tape, he's a tough guy to evaluate defensively because he's not terribly engaged for a lot of the time. I think that's true of a couple of our guys. And I think that when we're going to be at our worst, it's going to be open corner threes and just guys not, not closing out, not putting in that extra step. But we've got a lot of size now, a lot more size. We've got Kent Bazemore, Ariza. These are guys that have seven foot plus wingspans that I think that we are built. My point is that we have a certain defensive floor with two great defensive players. And then we've got a certain degree of switchability. We've got a style of play. So that is my optimist point of view. I think that we will still be capable. And more importantly than anything, it's culture. Playing defense is really important to us, really important to our coaching staff. And so I think that combination means that we've got enough. Yeah, I can definitely conceptualize the Lakers being this good and winning the title again, or at least getting to the finals and having a real shot. I think that, you know, on, there's the whole on paper thing with the Nets and we saw what they were capable of without all three of their guys last year. They made some good moves, et cetera. So I get the case and I don't even really disagree with it, Pete. I, I think there are actually a couple of different versions of this roster and, and the potential to add a piece before the trade deadline. Um, if need be like a key piece, maybe, maybe one more, you know, perimeter defender or three and D type guy. Uh, mm-hmm. that that that's out there but i see that we just it's not on paper like the previous model that won the lakers the title and so that's where the difference comes but if you listen during the russell westbrook press conference which i would encourage anybody to do go back on the lakers website if you can get a chance to see it and you'll get some optimism just from there and you do in general get that when because these guys are all confident you could watch the worst team in the league and see, listen to their head coach, listen to their best couple of players and think, OK, because these guys like these guys got there for a reason. And so that optimism and that feeling like they're going to figure something out is going to abound. But the point I want to make about Westbrook and Vogel and, and the way that they're thinking about this team is they are going to run. They're going to be fast. They're going to like they're going to use that athleticism. And so some mm-hmm. of the traditional model that I think Pete was just referring to may apply differently for this team. And, oh, they may not, you know, like they may not, they're not going to necessarily get stuck. It's, it's a little bit to my point about shooting being overrated over the huh. last couple uh-huh. of years. Like there, when you are, when you have three guys that are that level of an athlete and mm-hmm. the spacing doesn't seem like it's always going to be perfect in this modern way that we conceptualize basketball and teams are going to go under screens and all that. It's like, okay, well, yeah, but, or Westbrook just grabbed his 11th rebound of the night, yes. sprinted past four guys, and just yes. dumped it off for an AD dunk, and then they got back on defense. And so I just think there are a lot of there are a lot of different ways that that this team is going to hurt opponents um, that aren't going to be following that model that we've all been looking at and thinking of for the last couple of years. 
I agree, but more on the offensive end. We're still going to have to to guard guys, right? We're still going to have to close out to the three-point line. We're still going to have to take on all of these responsibilities defensively. And that's something where I go back to our last pod on, on sacrifice. We talked about the idea of sacrifice and what it would look like. On the defensive end, Darius, there are always guys on every team that do the dirty work, that make closeouts, tag cutters in ways that the game moves too fast where if you're just watching it once, you're not going to see everything that happens that provides a certain degree of value. A lot of the times, your star players on your team are not the players that are tasked with with absorbing those responsibilities, with taking care of those things. We've got a lot of guys on our team who have been stars throughout their career. And I'm talking LeBron, even AD, as as wonderful as he is on the defensive end, uh, Westbrook, but also Carmelo Anthony, even Dwight to an extent. Now, AD and Dwight, part of their superstardom was the defensive end. So I mean less in that respect, but guys like Carmelo Anthony, even Russell Westbrook, you wrote a wonderful post talking about not only are the role players going to have to sacrifice, but so are the stars amongst themselves. I would argue there's no place where that's more true than on the defensive end, just doing simple tag the cutter, close out to the three-point line according to the game plan and chase them off of the line. It's all of these dirty work, unappreciated things that at the very least, we're asking guys to do that who have not been asked to do that much in their career because of other responsibilities that they've had. So I'm talking, you know, about all my anxieties and whatnot about what this team can be defensively. And there's nothing higher on that list than just is everybody going to kind of dig down and be willing to to buy into doing the little things. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Hmm. So here's the thing. There's more than one way to skin in a cat. LeBron has won championships now on three different teams he won with the heat he won with the Cavs. he won with the lakers none of those teams none of those championship teams were really the same at all mm-hmm. very different teams yes like right it's not like i look at the showtime lakers or steph and katie's warriors or the spurs the spurs are maybe the closest analogy you could make to like lebron's teams right like the early spurs tie title teams were twin towers right it was duncan and robinson and then it was just duncan right and then it was like oh duncan ginobili parker and parker won a finals mvp a certain way and then it was like okay Kawhi is there now and it was like they morphed a bunch even, of different ways. And their style of play within that morphed from dual post-ups to very defensive-centric to the beautiful game team of 2014. So, yeah, but most teams, like you said, the KD Warriors, the Showtime Lakers, are kind of different versions of the same idea. Yes, and LeBron has won championships on three, to, to me, not if not totally different, right, because he's been at the center of it all, just different types of basketball were being deployed by different head coaches and different organizations. And this version of the Lakers reminds me more of like the 2017 Cavs that didn't win the championship because they ran into KD's first Warriors team. Yeah, one of the best teams of all time. Yes, one of the best teams of all time. And if you ask anyone around those Cavs teams, guys who covered them, like Brian Windhorst says this a lot, that the 2017 Cavs were the best version of those Cavs. They were better than the team that won the championship the year before that came back from 3-1 against the Warriors. They were just better. 
and they didn't win the title. So everyone forgets them. But I look at this version of the Lakers more like that team. And the reason why I say that is because that team skewed very heavy offense. They just did, right? Like it was Kevin Love and Kyrie and LeBron and and even in a lot of their backup guys, they were some of those guys were two-way guys, but more offense than defense, the J.R. Smiths. Sure, but we we have Anthony Davis. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't matter to me. It matters to no? me. Like, no, it, it's like Anthony Davis is great. He's going to be a great defensive player. He's, you mentioned culture earlier, and it matters to the head coach. It's going to matter to Frank Vogel. I get it. He's going to preach defense. I get it. 100%. He's going to seek out lineups even where defense matters. I'm telling you, man, if the Lakers are as good on offense as they are trying to be on offense. And before we started recording the pod, you would sort of, we were talking about this version of the pod, the one that we're recording right now. And you were just like, I'm pretty confident that the Lakers are going to be good on offense. I'm pretty sure the Lakers are pretty confident. They're going to be good on, on offense too. You know what happens when you're confident that you're going to be good on offense is you don't play defense is hard. So that's the worst version of this team is the team that in the regular season is beating inferior talents 130 to 125 because they can. But that I think that portends poorly for where we're going. And that's going to be one of the signs that I look for earlier in the season. Just thinking about last year and what team did we hear all season long? Yeah, they can score, but I don't know. Can they defend, especially in big playoff moments, the Brooklyn Nets, right? Yes. And the question there was – this is this is where I, I'm kind of going to go if I have to pick a side here as much as I hate to go between mom and dad. Like <laughs> this is where Anthony Davis makes that ultimate difference. Yeah. You know? Because with Brooklyn and I, this is the point where I'm still not 100 percent convinced that Brooklyn is the shoe in to win the title like everyone next year, because you can power through them to some at yes. least to some extent. This is this is our whole how many pods have we done, guys, about force? and athleticism and and i thought that brooklyn though turned a corner with blake griffin some of all people who used to be the guy that was kind of like you didn't even worry about him out there that much defensively and you just will go back out there but when blake was actually was playing like a role player like he was giving Giannis problems and that so that lineup with blake and with kd and you know harden was never really healthy but they like just by it by sheer effort and attention to detail that they didn't have in the regular season these are vets that are smart and that want to win. So I that's where I'm, I do give some benefit of the doubt and where I do think that Anthony Davis coming in to essentially take away the rim and force you into jump shots, which Darius does make Brooklyn still dangerous because they got Kevin Durant and you can force him into jump shots all he wants. But still, like I, that's 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 one part of this I want to just mention there. But that's the thing about AD is he doesn't just force you into jump shots. He can guard you on the perimeter too, at least to a certain degree, right? There's a versatility there. My point with AD, Darius, is that none of these other teams, that Cavs team, did not have an Anthony Davis defensively. This Brooklyn team doesn't either. And so there's a certain there's a certain floor that we have. I'm not discounting. Anthony Davis. I'm not saying the Lakers are going to play no no defense. They're not going to be ranked 30th. Yeah, I don't sure. even think they're going to be in the bottom half of the league. Like, like that's not the point I'm making. Right. Because there's more to be said on this than just like, oh, they remind me of 
the 2017 Cavs, I don't think the Lakers are going to take regular season defenses seriously. I just don't. And if they show me that they do and they show me that they're going to commit to be a top five five defense, I will be surprised. And I'll be happily surprised. I just don't envision that. I don't. What I do envision, though, is that during the playoffs, they are going to lock in more. And they are going to be better, similarly to the Brooklyn team that Mike was just describing, in that game plans get more specific. The focus on an individual team and player tendencies ratchet up to the nth degree and you have smart players who care which are points that you guys were were both just just making so i could totally envision this team being like oh yeah well they're 12th or 14th or even 16th in regular season defense and then in the playoffs it's just like oh suddenly they're one of the top two or three best defensive teams but i could totally see see that happen happening i just do envision though there being nights where during the regular season especially where we're just like this team doesn't care right and it's going to be because they can score 140 points in a regulation basketball game like i just so it's going to be very interesting to me how how frank vogel manages that aspect of it because i do agree that the culture is there but is the culture going to be, well, we're going to be the number one t- defense in the league the, the entire, entire season? I just don't envision that, even with Anthony Davis on the team, even with LeBron on the team, because I just think certain things are going to come easy to them, and, and, and they're not going to be able to summon that every single night. I don't think we're going to be the top defense in the league, either a top three defense. I think, though, that a top 10 defense with the offensive improvements that we've made, that's totally going to be good enough. So that's kind of my question to you guys is how because here's the thing, like you said, it's not going to be an every night thing, Darius, especially with the age of the roster. They're not going to go 82 locked in and have their pistols out and help side defense and, you know, ball denial and perfect closing out as hard as they can and chopping their feet. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen for any team, including the young ones. But I do think there's a certain amount of cohesion that is built through the day-to-day defensively throughout the regular season where it's not just a flashlight, especially on a new team. If you're talking, say, the 2002 Lakers, a team that was mostly the same as the year before and the couple of years where they won the title, they knew what they could get to. This is a whole new roster with the exception of the two main pieces of foundation so there is has to be process there has to be ground that's, that's covered defensively during the regular season to get to the level of playoff defense that they will need to play to win a title and what i'm saying with respect to anthony davis is that we do have somewhat of a cheat code in that yeah. he can yes. erase mistakes or you didn't necessarily do that right, but he's just so much better than the other guy that he got to stop on a play that that will, there's always going to be a certain degree of that. We're vulnerable to that because we're older and because we're a new team. And so I think that in the process of building that cohesion throughout the regular season, Anthony Davis being really locked in and being, I want to be a defensive player of the year, that type of mentality, I think has a chain reaction throughout the roster that'd be very helpful. I agree with that. And the other, the final point I'll make on this is if you just think about the Western Conference and we'll deal with the East later, but in terms of the Lakers being the potential best team in the West, I don't look at another team in the West and think that team's got offensive problems that the Lakers with 
even if it's just LeBron and AD and sort of three guys that are playing hard that they can't have some answers to. The one guy, the one player that you worry about there is Luka. I don't think the rest of the Mavericks are necessarily able to to come along with them and and contain the Lakers on the other end, right? And that's the whole issue with the Mavs. Like, how are they going to keep LeBron and AD from scoring? How are they going to keep Russ away from the rim? Like, they can play Porzingis and Boban and stuff, but that's they don't have that defensive type player, that Anthony Davis type guy. That when things all get down to it, and and that's where. I don't know yet what the full answer is. We can continue to theorize, which we will on the pod. We can we can start to talk to the coaches. We can hear about what their plans are in training camp. But I am also just Darius not seeing that 2017 Warriors squad, right, that's out there that's like, well, how are they going to stop that group? And at least in the West. And so by default right now, that's almost where I'm kind of like, all right, well, it's I don't I don't know what it is yet, but it's enough. Probably it's enough for me to have them as the one seed. The two things that stand out to me about this team or what I'm looking for most when I think about what this team sees healing is defensively is is how much do they care? And what are the what are the team's best defensive lineups? And how does Vogel get to those while still maintaining a certain amount of offensive productivity that this team is capable of, right? Because you can go to five really good defensive players. The Lakers have five really good defensive players, I think, on this team that could play. And that could be, in theory, your closing lineup. That team's probably not going to score very well. It's always a push and pull with every coach. And the Lakers have skewed so heavily offensively that scheme will only get you so far. Caring will only get you so far. Mm -hmm. If you combine both of those, you can probably get far enough, right? That's how I I view it with this Lakers team. And my question is, is are they going to care enough? And are they going to scheme enough within the context of the players that they have and uh, and are those players who are being catered to are they going to care enough right and it's going to be this constant fluctuation of care versus scheme versus rotations versus like is frank vogel pulling his hair out yet because there are going to be some times where i think he's going to look like like okay well damn I, I bet they're going to win some games and Vogel is going to express a certain amount of displeasure in a, a Frank Vogel sure. sort, sort of way, right? Where he never gets too high or too low and he never gives you too much on the bone to chew on, right? But y- you know when he's a little bit like, ah, that wasn't it tonight, guys. I got a really random NFL reference that I'm hoping maybe four or five people will get. I'll have to explain it myself. But Brian Billick won a Super Bowl with the Ravens the year after he was the offensive genius guru for the Minnesota Vikings. If you guys remember, it's Randy Moss, it's Chris Carter, like this amazing team that should have won the Super Bowl end up losing because they're a field goal kicker. I, I, I'll just stop there. Was that with the Randall Cunningham? Bro, it was Gary Anderson missed his first field goal of the year in the yes. NFC Championship game against the Falcons um, at home. And it, it's, it was tough, man. It was a tough L. I'm still feeling oh. that one. But the point was, so Billick, this offensive guy, offensive genius, right, uh, this designing plays, he goes to the Ravens, and their best player is Ray Lewis. And he had to figure out, he's like, all right, well, for all of what my thing is, and I'm the offensive guy, quote, unquote, 
Like I got to be able to bring out what's best in this team. And that's a bit more of an extreme example. Cause you know, you get, you have two way players, LeBron, especially, but Vogel, I think has shown that like he can be flexible and least more than we think he's not going to lose his defensive focus, but he's also, it's not like he doesn't know offense, right. Or that he doesn't know. How, so th- I just think sometimes we get a little bit too cute in labeling guys as this is what these coaches are going to do. They're only thinking defense. Like right. there, there's going to be some adaptability um, to the roster that I think he's going to show. And he, of course, he has to show. But I just I wanted to point that out that sometimes we get we put these guys in boxes when they're you know professional coaches like they know the whole game. I love that point too. And that, that can even apply to players as well. There's a collective between the coaches and the players figuring out, even at this point of the year, you know, these guys have all had conversations that the first they're having, they're asking the same fundamental question that we are. The difference is that they can act upon it. And so their questions are a little different. And that the fundamental question is, what are we? What are we going to be? What do we want to be? What are our stated principles at the beginning of this year? This is what we believe in. This is what we believe we have to do to get to the title. They want to win the title even more than we want them to. They came together for this, for the purpose of that. You hear all of the the older guys, especially in their press conferences, that is why they're here. That's what it's about. And so in the process of that, one thing that that I've learned in, in my basketball years is you can't be everything as a team. You have to decide a certain prioritization of this is what we're going to be. This is what we're going to emphasize. And of course, it would be great if you were a great pressing team, a great trapping team, but also great in a drop coverage and great as a switching team and great in all of these, you know, as a, as a tag and recover, all of these different defensive scenarios. That's not how it works. You have a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of prioritization where you say, this is what we are going to be. And so what we are going to be defensively will be determined by that plan, which I think is going to be very well put together with all of the basketball minds and champions that we have on this team. And then the adherence to that plan. And that is the harder part. And so one of the guys that I think is very important in that story is going to be Kendrick Nunn. So we're going to talk about him on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.